0: Hello, my active and conscious tribe, and welcome to Rewoke, Rewriting Our Kids' Education. My name is Michelle Person, and we are on a journey. We are rewriting, rethinking, and re-educating ourselves and our children. Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, Community Policing, Defund the Police, The Talk, If They Would Have Just Complied, Resisting Arrest, I Can't Breathe, Police Brutality, No doubt those words and phrases elicited strong emotions within you as I said them. And that is because this country's history with law enforcement is tumultuous, to say the least. Everyone has an opinion on why things are the way they are, and whether or not anything can be done to change the situation for the better. Today, we are going to be reflecting on the state of Black and Brown communities' relationships with law enforcement, and what we should be teaching our children so that these words no longer elicit such visceral responses. Reverend Al Sharpton once said, we're not anti-police, we're anti-police brutality. My guest today is Stefan Garrison, a certified police officer in the state of Florida. And he is here to share his views on what we can do to establish better relationships with law enforcement and our community. And oh yeah, are you woke? Breonna Taylor, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice. What do these names have in common? Well, there's a bunch of things actually. They were all young, they were all loved by their families, and they all had incidents with police that led to their untimely death. Black and brown people have had issues with police since the inception of this country. And it's not hard to understand why. From the beginning, white Americans have used the police department. As a way to force their belief systems and promote their self-interest above the beliefs and self-interest of anybody else, by whatever means necessary. They need more land to expand agricultural pursuits? They took it. Natives fight back? They kill them. They need people to work the newly acquired land? They steal them. Those people fight back? They terrorize them. All of those things were backed by law enforcement. Every step of the way. But instead of acknowledging this very traumatic and horrific past, our country often pretends it didn't happen and expects Black and Brown communities to embrace law enforcement officers based on the merits of what they do now instead of what we have actively seen them do in the past. Unfortunately, a lot of what they do now is just as traumatic as what they have done in the past. Are all law enforcement officers bad? Of course not. Do brown and black communities trust law enforcement agencies? Of course not. But like it or not, police officers are necessary to a civilized society. So the real question is, how do we break those generations of trauma and create a relationship of respect and security for both parties? How do we begin to cultivate that with our children? Our guest today has some ideas on how we might begin that process. Stefan Garrison, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for, for having me. It's it's an honor to to be able on your show with your titles and everything. When you messaged me, I was like, oh, this is this is a blessing. Like this is, <laughs> this is like one of the gods. Like just coming. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you for a little bit.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome. So, well, so, you know, we're talking about um, um policing, uh the history of it in our communities and how we can um better equip our kids. What should we be telling them? Um and before we get into all, to all that heavy stuff, the history of why things are the way they are, the conversations we need to be having with our kids, can you tell our listeners, give them a little bit of a background about why you are the person that we need to be listening to about this topic? What is your what's your background?
1: Um, so my background, I, I grew up in Chicago. Um, I didn't have a lot of money, have a lot of money whatsoever. Um, and I've always wanted to become a police officer, um, just cause I wanted to see the other side. I always saw the civilian side of it, um, or like our side of it where, you know, the cops are always killing and this. And I was like, all right, I need to go into that side and see if it's actually the same way. Um, so that's what I did. So, um, I'm a certified police officer down here in the state of Florida. Um, I worked for an agency called Castleberry um, and for over a year. Um, and now I, I mean, I'm young, I'm still new to it, but I'm learning so many different things, but I'm also bringing a different aspect to the agency as well. Like, you know, we need to have a different output on it mm-hmm. um, of how we see individual people, specifically how we see African-American descent people mm-hmm. um, to, you know, to one, to one person walking on the street. Um, And someone wanting to pull them over versus just okay well he's just normal why can't he just walk on the street why why is it always a, um, a bias against other or primarily just us.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that actually leads into my my next question. So you've been doing this work for a year. Um you wanted to see the other side. You've had a chance to peek behind the mirror. Um I tell people all the time that's why I do this show because I've had a chance. I know what's on the other side of the mirror in education and I'm trying to lift that veil so people can see what what I've seen. So and there are a lot of misconceptions. You know, one of the ones I talk about all the time is that the, there's a common misconception that principals have like all this power. We have none. And so um you know that that's a common <laughs> Common misconception that I just wanted to spell right off the bat. What are some misconceptions that, uh, that in your year, your first year on the job that you learned that people have, are just not true. Um,
1: misconceptions about, coffee. um, we don't all eat donuts and coffee every single time. That is a huge misconception. Coffee. Yes. Donuts. No. Um, <laughs> um, so that's a huge misconception. I don't, I, I didn't understand that when I first started, I was like, do we, do we eat coffee and donuts every day. <laughs> they You're like, no, we don't. I was like, okay, well, just wanted to make sure I got that one out. Awesome. Any,
0: any other ones?
1: Um, I mean, that's the only one I've learned so far. All the other ones have probably been a little bit more accurate.
0: <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Well, that's, <laughs> well, before we get into the ones that were unfortunately accurate, I- I'm curious, did you get a lot of flack when you told people, you know, you're a black man. Did you get a lot of flack when you told people that you were going to be an officer?
1: Um, not really. No, like my mom, my mom was very nervous. Um, she was like, are you sure you want to do this? Um, and I was like, yeah, I want to do it. You know, it's something that I've been wanting to pursue for a while. Um, friends have been very supportive. I think the only flag I've been getting back is actually from the community itself. Um, Mm. because some see you as almost as like a traitor, Mm -hmm. um, because they're like, well, you went over to the other side. Now, you know, as they say, you work for the, the white man now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not why I went into this job, not to be the traitor, but to be the person who changes the agency from the outside to mm-hmm. have that different aspect of, okay, now we have a, bl- a young black male in our agency who can help us with some of the, difficult- some of the difficulties that we've had with um, diverse communities uh, mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, so that's pretty much who I've been getting the flap from um, more, most of the older generation, so like grandmother generation, they have been supportive. So, um, you know, they'll thank you for your service. But it's toward the younger generation where you have that negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you're not getting that support. That's when, you know, they're still disrespecting you. They're still calling you a traitor and all these other names where you're like, I'm just trying to help you out, not mm-hmm. trying to
0: well, let's talk about that, because obviously there are some there are some real reasons behind why they view the police like that. I mentioned some of the names in my in my intro, um, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, um, Mike Brown, like all of these are young people who the, the young people who are calling you these names have watched these other young people um, be unfortunately murdered at the hands of police um, mm-hmm. You know, in their in their city, in their different cities, and around them. So their frame of reference um, is unfortunately not extremely positive. So um, obviously, we know there are issues there. And um, so, my I guess, my question to you is: um, Now that you're on the other side, what do you see as the biggest issue that keeps us from being able to? Not necessarily, I guess, move past is the wrong verbiage because I don't want to say we need to move past these issues because for I think we first need to acknowledge them so I guess maybe my question I'm changing my question what do you think it is that keeps us from um, from where you sit um, from acknowledging these huge elephants that are in the room and um, what can we do to try to rectify and address some of these huge elephants in the room so that so that the young people who are the people who are you know giving you the most black, you know, start to change their their view of the police department. And then I have another follow-up question, which is whose responsibility is it? Is it the people who are giving you the flack or is it the police department's responsibility? So that's a mouthful I'm gonna let you talk about.
1: <laughs> um, so I think the biggest difficulty that we have is that we're like, agencies need to come with the community, like have a community conversation, like actually have a sit down. Um, some communities are really good at that, like Seminole County, um, their community is fantastic with that, their agency. Um, they love having like town hall meetings. Um, the sheriff loves going out to like different events that support the different diverse communities. But I think the biggest, ele- the biggest elephant is that we're not having those conversations of how we can help each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, because if
1: we don't have those conversations or, you know, we're always having these one sided, it's always just one person coming to the table when an issue happens. It's never both sides. It's never both sides coming to the table to talk about you know, a cop shooting or um, whatever the case may be. It's always one side coming and protesting and the other side is like sitting back like, okay, well, we'll just let this you know, breeze on by. But if we finally sit down, have these conversations about our diverse community, what the Black community needs from the police and what the police need from the Black community, maybe then we'll actually have some type of peace.
0: So whose responsibility do you think it is to begin to initiate those conversations, those town halls? Like, is it the, is it the, I mean, is it the community's responsibility to, to, to reach out or is it the police responsibilities to reach out?
1: I think it's both sides, like both community leaders on both sides need to finally just, you know, say, okay, let's have this conversation. And if you want a middle person, like a, a, a mediator, you could get, you know, city officials, whether that be the mayor or the governor whoever you know runs your town, um, have them be the mediator to be able to, okay, well, I'm wanting to reach out to the black community, get some of their community leaders to come, reach out to the law enforcement agency, get some of their community leaders. And there we go. Now we're bringing all of them to the table at one time. You have your one middle person. So you have the, the city official, whoever that may be, uh, be able to ask each side the question. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, you know, no one, both organizations aren't just sitting there looking at each other um what's the word? Um stupidly, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, they actually have someone in the middle and they're like, okay, these are the questions. This is what we're gonna ask, and we're gonna ask each side. Like, what do you guys need?
0: Mm-hmm. So I-, I guess I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second. Okay. And okay. I'm gonna say conversations are great. You know, mm-hmm. um, we know that historically there have been many, many conversations over the years about, you know, what, you know, oh, yeah, we promise we'll do this. We promise we'll do that. And and to that, I think a lot of people listening will be like, yeah, but I still ain't got my 40 acres and my mule. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, like I we can listen all day, but, you know, I you know, how do what do we do or how do we, you know, address the fact that, one, we can have conversations. But there are policies and procedures that are ingrained and or are regulation and or law that disproportionately affect black and brown communities. So when you're having that conversation, how do you address those very heavy topics? And the second thing is after you have these sometimes very hard but oftentimes very helpful conversations, whose responsibility or how do we make sure we hold both parties accountable? So that you know we don't go backwards, and you know the, the great things and great things that get talked about at these town halls and get meet in these meetings actually get done. Um, you know how do we how do we do those two very hard things? Address the other huge elephant in the room, which is that there are literally procedures and policies and regulations and laws that disproportionately affect black and brown communities, and how do we make sure that if we talk about it, we can take you at your word that you're really going to do something about it? Um, so
1: to address the first one, <laughs> that's a large ele- elephant. huge elephant. Um, <laughs> So with that, I mean, there, there's two people to that side. You have the city officials, right. And then you have the black community. Um, The black community actually like when laws and things like they have, they have a vote. So before anything goes into effect, usually there's a vote there's town hall meetings to discuss your concerns about it. And I think for the black community, we actually need to show up for those conversations. And I think that's the part where you get all these different laws or regulations that go against us because we're not there. We're not there to speak our part and be like, whoa, 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 this is, this is, this is unfair. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not going to affect my community. Well, So if we don't have those conversations and go to those meetings, the city officials are going to be like, "Okay, well, I guess they're good with this. It works. You know, it works for you because you may be you know, you may be a white guy. You don't know how this is going to affect the black community. And if no one shows up from the black community to, you know, protest, speak your part. And how how are they going to know that this doesn't work for them? And then when the law already takes effect and now you're sitting here like, I don't like that law. Well, you had plenty of chances to to try and do something, whether go to a town hall meeting. Or even vote. Most black people don't even vote. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know in the last presidential election, at least 10 of my friends didn't even go vote. And I was like, there we go, right there. Mm-hmm. You can't complain about who the president is. You can't complain about the laws that he puts in effect if you don't actually go and go voice your opinion about
0: it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then, so not only, so <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm probably jumping all over the place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then, like I said, with city officials, you also vote for them as well. You put them in place. They, they have their advertisements. They're like, oh, put me in district whatever. So if you don't vote and those people automatically get into that seat, you don't know what they're representing. You don't know if they're representing your values. You don't know if maybe they, only, maybe they have their own agenda. Um, so I think voting and coming out to those town hall meetings, discussing how you feel about these legislations or these laws before they go into effect that's how you're going to be able to accomplish that
0: part. I definitely 100% think that we need to rethink uh, and re-educate ourselves about the voting process. I, I cannot mm-hmm. tell you how many conversations I've had with people about how your vote doesn't matter. Um, and for me, um, I think that the, the, I learned in the last administration when I was in uh, actually in a school, and it wasn't even the president that was negatively affecting me. It was the people that he appointed that are not mm-hmm. elected but because we voted him in he appointed um and i go on this tangent all the time betsy devos who oh was my secretary god the of
1: secretary of education she and,
0: and but but because that's who got in they have you know but but people are people didn't understand that um mm-hmm. it, it and then so when people were saying um you know why does it matter like why do i need to vote in this next election oh it matters because the people that he appoints make decisions that directly and I mean, every day impacted the job that I was trying to do. Um, but, you know, you have those people say, oh, it doesn't matter. It it totally matters. And not even just at the federal level, it matters. It matters actually more at the local level um, to make sure that you're, because that's where a lot of these decisions and ordinances and, and regulations are passed. And so 100%, you know, make sure our voices are heard. I love that. Um, now, the second part of that conversation is, once we have these conversations, let's say we do go out, we do vote, our voices are heard, we've had the conversations, we've decided that, you know, what we we've figured out for our community, how we're going to move forward, we've talked to the sheriff, we've talked to the community leaders, we've talked to the community organizers, how do we hold everybody accountable to make sure the work that we talked about gets done?
1: Um, follow up, follow up is, is a huge thing, following up with your city officials, um, emailing, calling, um, or, you know, getting involved yourself, go out there and find different volunteer jobs that you can do that maybe pushes your agenda in the right direction. Um, because if you're not following up, if you're not volunteering, if you're not looking for different types of opportunities, then, and you're just sitting back, you're like, all right, well, well, I'll just let them do it. But then you're not doing your part. Then it's kind of like, okay, we're not, we're not moving forward whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to hold them, you know, accountable Um, And then something that I I love when most when politicians, um, when their reelection is coming up, they love to try and do everything that they said they were going to do really quick. And it's like, no, 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 no. You had two years to do this and you didn't do it. nah I think your time is up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, telling the people who you elect, hey, your reelection is coming up. You want these people to vote for you. You need to start making headway Mm because I can I can make sure that my side, the. African-American black community, they don't vote for you. You need them. You need their support to back you up. You ain't got their support. You're not getting reelected. So I think that,
0: yeah, And that, I think that it goes back to the vote. The, the vote is how we hold them accountable. We organize and we make them understand that if they don't make good on the promises, then mm-hmm. we, we will find somebody else who will. It's a long process. I mean, it's not yes. it's not a short fix and it's not for the faint of heart. But I mean, it, it is a pro. It's the only process that we have right now. So I feel like we have to make that work. Um, so I, I guess the next part is we like we I just mentioned, it's a long process. So it, it's going to take some time. So in between then, between, so the reality is we have to live in the world as it is um, until we can see that change. So for, so being that that is our reality, that things aren't changed yet, many black and brown families have to have um, conversations, the talk with their boys and and even their girls about how to interact with law enforcement um, in order for them to come home safe. Um, As an officer, um, someone who has worked in the system. What things do you wish parents were saying to their children when they're giving them that talk?
1: Um, one thing I always tell people is that that officer is a human person as well. Forget the badge, forget the gun. Think of that person as your neighbor, right? So think of that. So that officer is a father, a brother, a son, what have you. Your interactions, because they want, at the end of the day, they want that, that's our goal too. We want to go home. I, the same. I walked out of my front door. I want to walk right back in at the end of the day. Um, and I think having those conversations with our black and brown children is that. Just, I mean, just do everything possible that you can to not make. I don't. I don't even know. Like, <laughs> like it's it's one of those like how, like how do you interact with law enforcement? Just treat them like a normal human being. Just how they are. They tell you to do something. Just. Just do it. You can always get a lawyer. You know, if you feel like your um, constitutional rights are, are violated, um, you always have that option as well. So just do what you can. Not I don't want to say do what you can to make it out alive, but just do everything that you can to not make that. Uh, I don't. I, <laughs> I'm like It's what? hard, right? It's hard. It's like, hard. you know, it's
0: it's hard. I, I get it. Like you want you want to make sure that and, and, I, and I can only imagine. Um, as an educator, obviously, you know teachers get bashed all the time. You know, yeah. the test scores are horrible. People aren't teaching. You know, um, you know, and and, and you don't you, know, you don't care about kids. You guys are just in it for the for the the early dismissals and the and the and the summer <laughs> fall. And it's like, no, we we actually are human too. And um and when we are working with your children, we are trying to do what's best. But we because we are people, we also in our mind have the experiences. That come with the twenty years in the classroom. So, for example, I sometimes might sit in the meeting and have to check myself because I know that my experience tells me if a kid is presenting with unable to sit in their seat, if a kid is presenting with um, you know um, you know constantly blurting things out, constantly uh, forgetting to turn in their homework you know, I, I've been through enough of these cases and conversations to know in my mind, that kid has ADHD. And and, and I will 100% say, and and that will, and if, and if my mind has already decided that that's what that kid has, I'm going to approach the problem or, uh, and, you know, the situation differently. Um, I might be recommending sit down with the counselor. I might be recommending medication. I might be doing all of these things. Um, and the parent, you know, who's, who's, this is their first interaction with you know, an administrator, the school, the teacher on this level, they might get offended. You know, like, how are you automatically characterizing my child as having this thing when we've not checked out this, 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 and this? Um, and therefore, how are you treating them like this, 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 and this? And I, and, and I have to understand that I get that. Um, but when you've done the job as long as I have, you do start to develop some, some, pa- some things that you've noticed as patterns. I know that when a kid presents this way, they typically, you know, have this. So not saying it's right and not saying that there are not systematic reasons why sometimes interactions between law enforcement and black and brown communities are the way that they are. But to your point that people are human, I think we have to, playing devil's advocate, remember that they you are not the first person they've interacted with that day, um, that week, that year, Um, and there are patterns uh, and experiences that they've had that are making them in that moment approach you in that way. Mm -hmm. There is responsibility, just like there is responsibility on me to check my, whenever possible, check my assumptions at the door and try to treat each child like an individual case. But in the heat of the moment, you know, as a human, sometimes your your the patterns of behavior and what you've seen over the the last your year, year i'm sure you've seen some stuff and so you've probably unconsciously developed uh okay when i see this i automatically know that this is about to go down this way and i need to do this and you do yeah. it unconsciously without thinking not to be racist not to be you know you know um you know uh, aggressive but because it's the pattern that you've seen um and, and so i think it's, it's unfortunate, I think, that the onus falls on us to be cognizant of their patterns. You know, I do think there needs to be some training because at some point, if, if you're allowed to carry a gun, you've got to, it, it, as aware as I am when I walk into a meeting to make sure that I don't offend that parent who is sitting there with her child for the first time and not that child is not the 15 other children that I've seen over the course of my career. The same way I have to check myself um, and come into that room and see that child as an individual. I also think that the police officer's responsibility have to see each person they stop as an individual. But I agree to your point that we are human. Um, and so to give each other grace when possible. Um, so, I mean, it's tough. I know that that, I, that had to be a, a tough question for you to, to kind of figure out an answer for.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it was like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs>
0: Right, right. (laughs) Um, So do you have any recommendations for improving community relations between um, Black and brown communities and, and officers?
1: I would say the, like, there's always, like, there's always, like, town hall either meetings or, like, community events, right, where the community comes together. Usually there's always officers present, right? So that's your time to meet in that kind of, like, a neutral zone. And just ask them, like, How's your day? Like, you know, how is it being a police officer? Like, what can I do to better, you know, help myself if I do get pulled over by a police officer? Just those questions alone can help you build that better understanding of what they go through. You know, not every traffic stop is the same. Um, as easy as it for you to get shot going to a domestic violence is as easy as you to get shot on a traffic stop because someone is, you know, maybe they're too nervous or maybe, Some people just don't like cops in general. You know, they get pulled over and they're already like, I'm going to shoot them or I'm going to do something. Right. So meet in those neutral zones, ask those questions. Um, It's always good for someone to be like, hey, look, I honor your service, but explain this to me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So then that way, like I said, you're in a neutral zone. No one. It's not like you're getting pulled over. It's not like they're coming to your house, but meet in those nice neutral zones and ask them, ask them those questions questions that you want that answer and they'll answer you, you know, it's not, or if they don't know it, maybe they'll find someone who does know the answer, but at least you're having that conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, and it goes the same way, you know, instead of, you know, let's say I, I would, I would even say the same thing about even like for an officer, like, let's say that you see a birthday party in a public park, right. Go over there, you know, talk to them, like, or you see that you see, you know, sometimes you always have the senior citizens who sit on the same block, drink coffee at the same time, go over there and have a chat with them. Like, or I know like back in my neighborhood, back in Chicago, like we would have officers um, at least probably like once a week. He would pull into the neighborhood. You know, the kids would approach him and they would ask questions and like he would turn on the siren. He would do things that would help build that relationship. Because if you can build it with the kids, the parents are seeing that. They're like, OK, they're not that bad. You know, my kids are saying, oh, you know, we turned on the sirens and they're having all this fun. Um, we even had another event where um, it was. I think it was like pool for the day, or it was some event where, like, the officers of our town would come into a, in, and pick us up in a school bus. They would take us to a local pool um, and they would feed us hot dogs and chips, and we would get the pool for like five hours. And that was their interaction. That was them giving back to the community. So it worked for both ways. You know, if you see an officer behind you, and, you know, I, I did this recently, um, I went to McDonald's and I was like, oh, there's an officer behind me. What? You know, what did he order? Oh, he only ordered an iced tea. Okay, I'll pay for it. Um, So just generous gestures like that. I'm not out there looking for. Oh, well, thank you, Stefan. No, it's just it's something nice, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, just pay it forward pretty much
0: definitely. Well, I, I think that that I, I tell people all the time um, when I'm training teachers that um the, the very first thing that I say, if you want to have great classroom management is you reach out to your parents before the first day of school, before mm-hmm. Johnny has cussed you out, before he has thrown <laughs> glue at your head, you know, so you can just, so it's neutral and you can have that conversation, um you know, and build that relationship. And I, you know, and you just said the same thing. it You have to build, you have to build a neutral a, a relationship on neutral ground um, before there are these incidents, you know, before you got stopped for speeding, before he comes to your house for domestic violence, like these are the things you need to be building before. Um, So I think that's actually a really good tip. And I I do agree with you. I think it goes both ways. Stefan, I want to thank you so much for your insight today Um, and and all of your your tips on on how we should, you know, try to re-educate ourselves and our children on this very, very, touchy, very, very explosive subject, but you were great to talk to. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have the hard conversations. Meet in neutral spaces to build relationships and vote. Thank you again to my guest, stefan Garrison, for speaking with us today. And thank you for listening. Show notes and resources to the things we discussed are available on our website at www.justlikemepresents.com. Share this podcast with other parents and educators in your circle, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard, leave us a review. Reviews help others discover our show and begin their own woke journeys. Have a great week, and remember, if our children can see it, they can achieve it. Parents. Are you frustrated with traditional education? I was. Educators, are you struggling to find inclusive academic content that represents your students? I know the feeling. That is why I created Just Like Me Presents. Just Like Me Presents is a multimedia production and development company that stresses the importance of literacy, culturally relevant teaching materials, and active learning experiences. Check out our culturally responsive books and supplemental curriculums on our website, www.justlikemepresents.com. In the Just Like Me book and JLM pick sections, your child will be amazed at how many books they can choose from where the characters look like them. They've never had math explained the way we do with Remember Through Rhyme, and I can guarantee the history we share with Meanwhile in Africa isn't taught in any traditional public school. Let us help you get the tools you need to rewrite your child's education and set them on a path to success. If you have a child in kindergarten through fifth grade, trust me, you'll want to check us out. Our programs help students develop a strong sense of self, affirm their identities, and encourage critical thinking and entrepreneurial skills. Head on over to the website now at www.justlikemepresents.com. And help empower your child to become the best version of themselves. And remember, if our children can see it, they can achieve it.